Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Salen and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we welcome Baltimore Orioles pitcher Brian Baker. In addition, we're going to talk a little bit about the latest news with the MLB lockout and get into some pieces that Bob, Nick, and I wrote over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com that looks at the Orioles' depth chart for 2022. First off, though, we'll introduce tonight's guest. He is a right-handed pitcher who spent the 2021 season in the Toronto Blue Jays organization making his major league debut with the Blue Jays last year. He was selected off waivers by the Orioles in November. He is Brian Baker. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So we'll just start off with uh, everything that's been going on with the lockout. Um, How do you follow along with the CBA negotiations? And before the lockout started, how much contact did you have with the Orioles? Um, Not – I actually – the way it worked out, whenever I was claimed, I uh, had about, a, I don't know, a couple of weeks before it was really uh, a lockout. So there wasn't too much contact, um, and it's been pretty pretty quiet since then. So I, uh, I'm going to be a, a, a new face around for sure and having to introduce myself and meet some people and everything. It's going to be fun. But, uh, yeah, as far as the CBA stuff, it's uh, uh, I'm just down here in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, um, that's where I come every off season to train and, uh, just kind of participating in an extended off season right now. So I'm uh, just, uh, staying ready. So I'm ready to play when everybody else is. <laughs> so how frustrating has it been for you? Because you're know, having 2020 wiped away because of the pandemic and then 2021, I think your spring training started out with a, you were a little banged up then now 2020, you got this lockout, uh, you're a brand new organization and, you know, you got a pretty fantastic opportunity here to be a major contributor with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, how frustrating is that for you? Um, it's it's definitely something that's crossed my mind for sure. I mean, the last two years in general, just without even taking in this this uh, current lockout, is has been a uh, an absolute roller coaster for me. I mean, right right in my you know age twenty five to twenty six season. So it's like kind of right when you're supposed to be you know in your prime. I guess as a lot of people would say, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's stuff that I can't really control uh, for the most part. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it's definitely uh, definitely frustrating as a as a competitor when you just want to kind of get out there and uh, you know have a regular season on time and everything kind of goes smoothly. But that's typically not the way it works. <laughs> you can't have that anymore. Um, you mentioned your uh, <laughs> fresh face for the Orioles. You will be once spring training eventually gets started, and same with Orioles fans. So, I mean, unless they watched you in your only major league appearance, uh, September 5th against Oakland, how would you best describe your pitching style and the types of pitches you throw to just give our listeners a better idea what to expect when they see you on the mound? Yeah. So, uh, the last, last couple of years I've, I've been, um, a back end reliever for the most part, I'm right-handed, um, power pitcher, um, try to go right at guys, um, fastball up in the zone a lot. And then, uh, change ups, probably my best secondary and, 
kind of a newer slider that came a long way last year. So it's like a four seam change up and then a, a slider. Were you surprised last year? You know, once we saw that Orioles acclaimed you, of course, us as fans, we go right to your stat pages and, and look up the numbers, and they were fantastic last year in AAA. Were you surprised that you didn't get more run at the major league level, considering some of those numbers you put up? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's tough being that. That was kind of my second stint in uh, in AAA. I kind of got up there right before in 2019 before the the COVID season, but. Um, it's crazy once you get there, it's, um, you know, you, you, you do your best no matter what and kind of wait for that opportunity and you really have no idea when it's ever going to pop up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a uh, it's definitely hard to stay patient, uh, at times, but, um, yeah, I was just super, super glad to get the opportunity in general. It was awesome. Nick mentioned that your numbers were excellent last year at AAA Buffalo. And one of the things that really stands out is that you really cut back on your walks. Um, was that a real focus for you going into 2021? And what did you work on during the season to continue that improvement? Um, yeah, it's, um, I'd say that's, that was like kind of the main focus, um, just staying healthy and, and pounding the strike zone, um, which they kind of go hand in hand because especially like, like you said, coming into last spring training kind of, had a little setback with my arm um, and then the whole rehab process to get back. And then I actually, I was healthy right as the AAA season started last year. So it was just a focus in general, um, just because I, I know I can trust my stuff just to make sure to put it over the plate and make the hitters beat me. That's just kind of the mentality that I I adopted and um, found some success with. So I, I yeah, I just um, try to attack, 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 and then get away from those bad counts and those walks. Yeah, so it seems like if you just look at the batting average against the batters, seemingly have just a very hard time making solid contact. You know, there must be something, some kind of hop on your fastball that's just they can't hit it. What would you attribute that to? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I used it actually used to be considered flat just because uh, back in the day before all this advanced data and everything, uh, I, I was told to throw the fastball down and it didn't play as well until. Um, kind of just started figuring out that I could throw it higher and it's, it typically plays a little better. So that was a big, that was a turning point. And then switching from a started reliever um, early in the minors kind of changed my mentality in general. And the, the stuff, stuff kind of had an uptick just from that switch, just from a mentality standpoint. And then um, I was able to kind of throw, kind of experiment a little more and then throw that high fastball a little more. Um, I kind of have some cut on it sometimes. So I, I think I, I might get lucky and miss a barrel here or there just with some accidental cut as well on the fastball. So uh, I'll take it. And you you do always hear about how, you know, a player moves from starter to reliever and then, you know, the stuff ticks up, whether it's fastball velocity, movement. What do you what do you think that comes from? Just the adrenaline from coming in in an important situation in the middle of the game versus, you know, going through just a routine? Yeah, it's um... – it's really it's really hard to explain and until you've kind of until you've really done both for a, a little while and um, I was a starter my whole life until I got um, I got to play in the Cape Cod League after my sophomore year of college and uh, just to be I had like a two week kind of tryout thing and it was the only innings I could get were out of the pen so it was kind of the first time so I got to experience it a little bit there and I really liked it and then. Um, I went back to school for junior year, still starter, and then a starter all the way through 
uh, rookie ball and then made the switch in low A uh, when I was with the Rockies. But uh, yeah, it's a completely different game. You're not worrying about rolling through the order a couple times. You don't have to save any, you don't really have to save any energy or anything. It's kind of um, everything you got for that one or two innings, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that just, uh, that I think that was the biggest change in general to where I feel like I could kind of um, let loose a little more and then just kind of tap into that adrenaline, especially in those big, bigger situations when you don't necessarily get in those as much as a starter, or it's not as late in the game um, with with traffic on the bases, and you need a you need a big out. So it's uh, gets the gets the heart beating a little faster. It's it's pretty nice to have that that little natural boost. I feel like it takes a a special breed of pitcher to come out of the pen in those high leverage situations, uh, especially with guys on base and game on the line. I love it. That's why I love uh, relief pitchers so much bullpen guys, because there's always something that makes you guys unique in, in some way, I feel like. But uh, you, I was reading an interview. I was reading a, uh, an interview you did last year when you were with Buffalo, but and you talked about one of the more you know difficult aspects of transitioning from starter to reliever was that process of developing a routine and, you know, we kind of always hear that, well, if, if this guy just moves to the bullpen, everything's going to play up and he can be successful there. But, you know, what is that process like for someone who came up through baseball as a starter? Yeah, that's that's the the flip side of exactly what I was just talking about. It's nice to have the the adrenaline and all that stuff going for you. You only have to throw, you know, an inning or two at a time. But uh, that structured routine, like when you get used to it as a starter, it's uh, it's really nice to have, you know, it, everything planned out exactly the way you, where you you really want it to go. You can recover and you have the set plan. And um, with uh, being a reliever, it's all that's completely out the door. So yeah, it was a huge, huge transition period. And it's, it's a constant uh, work in progress because you never know if you're going to go back to back days or, you know, throw three out of four games or um, whatever it may be. You might throw once and then not throw for another, seven days <laughs> depending on the situations but uh yeah it's it's on that on that side of things it's definitely much more difficult um because your routine is is really dependent on when when you're getting appearances and stuff so um that that is the difficult part of it but um kind of having a set base routine you can kind of go through each day at least for me like prep wise and then uh really just listen to my arm in terms of um workload in, in terms of how much I want to throw that day uh, prior to the game um, plays a lot more into into being a reliever and being ready to go whenever your name's called. Going back to you know, when you made that that jump from the Rockies to the Blue Jays organization when the trade happened, um, looking at your numbers, it seemed like after you joined Toronto's organization, it, you kind of really started to take off uh, it with, with, the, uh, with the Blue Jays. Was there something that the Blue Jays did to help unlock something in your game to help you take off, or was that just more of like maturing as a pitcher out there on the mound? Um, I think it was, it was probably a combination of both. Um, the, the Blue Jays kind of allowed me to 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 be more myself in terms of finding that that kind of uh, the way to attack hitters just completely differently, especially in my first couple of years as a starter when I was. Um, you know, 89, 92, um, just kind of played totally differently. And then as the Vila went up, I could start using it in different ways. But, uh, and then just learning to throw strikes. That's, uh, that's, that's the important piece in all of it. But yeah, I've certainly both played into, uh, into my development over the couple, last few years. 
someone who's gone through a velo, you know, who's seen their fastball velocity spike as much as you have, I'd be curious to get your perspective on this because for a long time, it seemed like the adage was that you can't teach velocity yet. Now we're seeing pitchers really develop their fastball, get their velocity up sometimes in the course of an off season. What kind of work did you have to put into your routine to get that spike to happen? Um, I think, um, it, it kind of came from a lot of different things. I think just being, um, uh, going from the college ranks into being a professional, you just have, I mean, everything you're doing is dedicated to your, your routine, your mechanics, everything, all the above. Um, so just in general, over the years, everything's kind of going to get smoother and you're going to kind of find some things that, um, are going to allow you to throw the ball harder, throw the ball more accurately. Um, but just everything combined kind of accumulating over the years. So I think working out here at um, Crusty Sports Performance, where I worked out for the last five off seasons, um, just getting strong and flexible. And it's just, it's, a, it's honestly a bunch of different things, but, and then picking brains of pitching coaches along the way, making little tweaks here and there. I think um, I didn't really have a, a huge uh, jump. Um, it was kind of gradual and finding, finding something here and there um, that works for me. And then uh, the jump, I'd say that just the jump from being a reliever or being a starter to a reliever was the biggest like actual uh, notice like, well, okay, this, and now I'm throwing this hard. Um, all the other stuff is kind of um, just kind of accumulated, like I said, over the years. Was there a pitching coach or a pitching coaches along the way that have been really uh, instrumental for your development? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so many, I, uh, I, uh, I, like I said, I've been here at Cressy uh, in the off season for the past uh, four or five off seasons. And I've, I've been working with um, my buddy, Brian Kaplan for, so for every off season. So every, you know, from October to February for the past four or five years, it's, it's been mainly him. And then obviously with the Rockies and Blue Jays, it's been the pitching coaches at each level. I mean, everybody's kind of helped in their own way. It's just been, it's great to just be in the, just being able to pick people's brains and pick up, pick up different things here and there. But yeah, I mean, I owe a lot of, a lot of my uh, successes to those guys. I think you're going to like uh, Chris Holt, Darren Holmes and Justin Ramsey here as well. Uh, going back to your Absolutely. college days, going back to your college days at North Florida, two of your teammates were also in the A-Sun at Jacksonville, Austin Hayes and Michael Bauman with the Orioles. Now, do you have any recollection of facing Hayes at any point or were you familiar with them at the time? Yeah, definitely. I, um, those are obviously two really good players uh, and they were our uh, crosstown rivals. So we played, uh, played a good bit and had some, um, some good series over the years. Um, Hayes. Yeah. I, I remember facing Hayes several times and faced off against Bauman actually when I was a, when I was a starter facing in, uh, him at uh, Jacksonville. So yeah, it'll be fun to kind of reminisce on some of those times. I think we got the better of JU uh, whenever we played them for the most part when I was there. So I can kind of have the upper hand there in those talks. Yeah. Rub it in for sure. How much? Uh... <laughs> I will say, I will say, I think, I think Austin Hayes might have the best outfield arm I've ever seen in person. So it'll be fun to see that more often. It's definitely got a cannon out there. Good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you know about um, fellow Oriole reliever Felix Bautista? Cause you guys have similar profiles as far as, you know, walks a little bit higher but batting average against and hits against very low and i've already personally started calling you guys the bash brothers just because you're intimidating stature on the mound you're both mountains of men so uh what do you think about him 
I honestly haven't uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen or heard much from uh, from anybody over on the uh, on the new team. So I uh, I'm gonna have to get to know the fellow Bash brother. But yeah, I, I haven't I haven't heard much. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like the Orioles definitely have a. a a new type that they go after when, when they're looking at pitchers. It's a uh, tall guys who can blow guys away. That's for sure. Um, there, there are going to be a lot of you in the organization now. Um, but looking at some of the game, the changes in the game more recently, uh, have you pitched with the automatic ball strike zone thing yet? Have you had an opportunity to, to work with that at all? No. What are, you, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Um, I'm pretty old school with everything. Uh, I'd, I'd say the the umpire has always been there and uh, we can adjust to the umpire i think it everything kind of balances out i'm, I'm old school i'm all for the umpire <laughs> what about i'm not like dro- a- i'm also not dropping i'm not dropping like a, a 12-6 that can like clip the bottom <laughs> of the zone either so it's like it's kind of different for different guys i'm sure <laughs> What about things like uh like the shift? I imagine that as like a pitcher, is that something that's really helped you out, or is that something else too like old, more old school? Where you, you as a maybe as a fan, take a step back as a fan, uh, you know, would you like to see more more balls in play there like that, or as a as a pitcher, you're just like uh, no, bring it to me, help me out. Um, I, I'd say I'm pretty I'm pretty old school on that too, but I mean, there's <laughs> there's uh there's numbers to support, you know, certain guys that are going to hit the ball this side of the field a certain percentage of the time i get that but i tell you i mean when you give up a chopper you know to when somebody's normally playing and, and there's nobody there and it's a base hit that's that's something that's basically like dang like man why can't we just play normal <laughs> but yeah there's there's definitely a place for it i uh actually there hasn't been too many uh, i mean through the minors there's we started doing it a little bit and um and triple a really is kind of the only place i've seen it so i haven't seen it too much but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, it's kind of with the, the same with the umpire, in my view. Like everything kind of balances out. But I mean, there's definitely those guys, you know, those big lefties that they just shift everybody over, and it, it seems to work a good bit. I understand it, but uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had too much experience with it yet. Speaking of analytics, are you someone that, in between your appearances, you're you're looking at the data, or you're just going off your your gut feel, and you just know when you have it, when you don't? Like, how do you make those adjustments? Um, yeah, it's definitely something. It's 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 a tool. I mean, everything available to us now. It's it's, it's like seems like it's growing by the day. It's kind of hard to uh, sift through, you know, everything that kind of you need or that you could look at that's influencing your game. Um, so I I think you can definitely get lost in it too. So I think uh, guys can get kind of wrapped up in in those numbers and kind of forget about what they're doing in between the lines and are they getting three outs before they score a run? Uh, that's kind of the way I, th- I view things uh, a lot of the time, but uh, yeah, there's definitely been times where um, I, I want to tweak something. Uh, I know last year with my slider, I we were, we were trying to hammer out something that had a little bit more depth just because I, I kind of started with a cutter grip. Um, so there, there's, there's definitely a, a place for it. I think we, that that was a pitch that came the longest way for me last year. Um, then and I used I obviously used uh, a lot of the data for that. So there's definitely a place for it, but um, and there's definitely the other side of things too, where you can kind of get wrapped up in and trying to, you know, do too much and set and forget about you know throwing the ball over the plate and, and getting three outs. 
looking at that end of it, the analytics, obviously you haven't had a chance to really get into what the Orioles do, but how do the Rockies and the Blue Jays compare in those areas? Um, well, I think it just kind of happened to be the, like, as time went on, like it's, it's going to be better as the years get, as the years go on. So just strictly from the fact that I was with the Blue Jays more recently, I think we used it a little bit more just because there was a little more available, but, um, and I think, um, yeah, with the Rockies, I honestly, that was just total throw my fastball down. So, um, clearly the like the hop or whatever you want to call it wasn't really a focus so i guess with the, with the blue jays they, they didn't embrace that so um just from that side of things definitely more in the last couple of years when you get up because i mean let's face it we're, we're big fans of yours now and uh hopping on here with us and we're, we're pulling for you so when you are a regular in the orioles bullpen you're going to face the blue jays a lot uh next year hopefully are there any guys over there that you're looking forward to, to facing off against and sitting them down with strikeout well i wish i could face my pitcher buddies and i, and I could talk some <laughs> smack to them because that, that'd be an easy out but uh yeah no i um i spent a lot more time with the pitchers especially like uh, a couple of my buddies that were kind of up and down last year but um just being up there for that week or so from spring training and all the other camps and stuff uh i I, I, it's going to be a tough line to face. Uh, they're really, really talented, and I've seen it firsthand. But uh, honestly, anybody that anybody that's uh, anybody that presents a, a big challenge, uh, I'm always looking to to go right at somebody. So honestly, everybody, um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to facing the facing them for sure. Anyone that's a son of a former MLB All Star, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So half the team. <laughs> <laughs> Was it when you got that little bit of time up there in spring training with the uh, Blue Jays, or maybe guys that came down on rehab appearances when you were in AAA? Was there any were there any veteran guys, pitchers specifically, that you were able to really pick their brains on a lot and learn something from? Oh gosh, yeah, for sure. Um, that's one thing I, I just love about the baseball family in general is you can you can pick you can pick some brains of guys that have gone through what you've gone through and a lot more. Um, and it's the same thing down here in the off season. I, I work out with guys that have, you know, countless years of big league experience. So I'm, I'm blessed to be able to pick their brains as well. But with the Blue Jays, I mean, just this past year, we actually, I mean, we had a lot of guys coming down for rehab and uh, we even signed uh, John Axford and he was in, in AAA with us for a little bit. Um, and that's that's who kind of sticks out to me just because we were like similar kind of stylistically and um i can pick his brain and we're just kind of uh worked out perfectly just similar in stature um kind of similar with the with our stuff and was able to pick his brain on, on different things and um just different cues especially for like larger human beings it's, it's, it's easy to get out of whack with your mechanics so just being a big goofy guy, he uh, he kind of paved he paved the way for me to find a couple cues to help me out. Well, Brian, we really appreciate you joining us, and um, we definitely look forward to seeing you on the mound this year. What are going to be your big priorities for the twenty twenty two season once it gets started? Um, big priorities, like on the mound, you're saying? Yes. Um, well, exactly what you were saying earlier. Just uh, just going right at people, um, and just building off of the kind of foundation that I had uh I started last year with a pretty good year I think um 
just going right at guys and and making them beat me is the uh, is the biggest key to my game, and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep using that mentality going forward. We'll call it shake and bake, just like your Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, look forward to seeing you out there this year. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks well, for joining us. Thanks so much. That was Brian Baker, a uh, reliever for the Baltimore Orioles, a uh, waiver <laughs> claim from the Toronto Blue Jays over the offseason just before the beginning of the MLB lockout in early December. Uh, it's now February 28th as we're recording this, and we're still in the lockout. MLB's self-imposed deadline of today for getting the regular season uh, started is here, and there is still no agreement. And while it's 6.57 Eastern as I speak, uh, and there is still hours left in the day, uh, things leading up to when we started recording this show didn't look very good. Hopefully someone listening to this later in the week is in some post-lockout baseball world. That would be great. But right now it's not looking all that good. So... Nick, I'll start with your thoughts here. Um, CBA, we've seen the negotiations drag out with some – it feels like every time you think they're starting to take a step forward, something happens and they take three steps back. That's kind of where I am right now, but I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, that's why I don't really pay attention to the day-to-day stuff, Like to be honest. I can't do it. Um it's frustrating because, and you hear like you know, the interview we just did with Brian there, you know, he's saying he, he just joined this organization. He's a 27 year old reliever. He's got this opportunity now where he saw an inning of work in the major leagues last year. So I'd imagine that itch is even bigger than it was before. Cause now he wants to prove to everybody in this brand new organization that he can stick in the major leagues. And like he's had very limited contact with the, the entire organization. So he's going to get to spring training and and then what? It's going to be the first day of school all over again whenever this thing gets going. Um, and that's got to be frustrating for a lot of guys in Baker's situation as well. Um, all the free agents that are still out there. Um, and then, you know, from uh, Orioles, you know, us being a minor league focused podcast, you look at guys like Cobb Radish, uh, D.L. Hall, Taryn Vavra, like they're going to be stuck doing nothing. Uh, working out on their own without direct supervision of the organization. And that's extremely frustrating. That's the most frustrating part for me. Like I want to see these guys out there getting better, being prepared for the 2022 season. And there's nothing they can do about it, unfortunately. Like, Yeah, I've always been optimistic this whole time just because I'm like, they just missed this pandemic season. It was 60 games. You can't do this again. I'm like, they'll just, they'll wait it down to the wire and then, you know, something will come through the favors of owners, but it'll get done. But the point where that kind of changed for me was when the players made a new proposal, made a bunch of shifts, like hugely downgraded their asking on the percentage of the pre-arbitration players. I think it was from like 80% to 35%. And the owners come back with raising one year of the CBT by $1 million. And it was like, what are we doing here? They they actually don't want to play <laughs> for the month of April. This is insane. They're not negotiating whatsoever. So yeah, I'm pretty uh pretty much just wake me up when it when it happens. And in the meantime, I'm just getting ready for minor league baseball. Yeah, exactly. And I you know, I I'm excited about the minor league season, but in the back of my mind I keep thinking, Taryn Vavra is not going to be in the opening day lineup for the Tides if the lockout's not over. Kyle Bradis is not going to be in the opening day rotation. D.L. Hall is not going to be in the rotation wherever he needs to go. And it's not like somebody like Brian Baker, who's on the 40-man roster, 
can just go to Norfolk and get innings while they wait for this to end. So the implications of this are big. And, you know, I'm frustrated at this point because I think that if it, we don't have a deal here soon, we're probably looking at a lost month. Because like Bob said, the owners are willing to sacrifice April. I mean, they more or less uh, threatened today to, you know, delay the whole or cancel the whole first month of the season. So this is where we are right now. And I want to see a deal happen, but I just am not hopeful at this point that we're going to get the first month in. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I saw a tweet. I don't know who put it out earlier today when, you know, the, something about the players getting frustrated now, um, openly frustrated about this idea that the language that's being used, you know, referring to them as, you know, assets, you know, pieces of a puzzle, whatever it was. I can't remember the exact tweet, but, you know, these are guys like Baker there sitting with no paycheck. Um, the guy didn't get a, he's not living off a $10 million signing bonus out of college. Uh, so he doesn't have that income coming in right now. That's why for me, like, like I'm a hundred percent pro player here. And I, I don't see any, are they perfect in this situation? Is the PA perfect in the situation? No. Uh, but at the same time, I'm 100% pro player and I hope they get everything they deserve uh, because these guys deserve to get paid. Uh, they deserve to be treated fairly. And from the playing side of things, like I, it's easy for us to kind of sit back and say like, yeah, we can be excited for minor league baseball, which we are. And it's great. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, listen to our podcast. We're going to be there every single day. Um, this is our time to shine for real now. But at the same time, like, I want to watch Major League Baseball as well. Um, and I'm tired of this, you know, whether it's driving fans away, whether it's hurting the players themselves. These are, are human beings. These are dads uh, trying to support their family, you know, and they can't do that right now. And it's extremely frustrating. And it's all the owner's fault. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Yeah, it's a great point, Nick. And yeah, I said, you know, wake me up when it's signed. I'll or I'll just watch minor league baseball. But yeah, you're right. I I want this to happen. I want to watch Adley Rutschman make his major league debut. I want to see, you know, all these guys play. And it's honestly, it's just depressing to watch how it's playing out. So that's why I'm just like, just yeah. let's get it done with. Well, you know, and I'm I'm not going to go into the you know I'll never watch baseball again territory. And I know that's not true. I mean, the three of us spend an hour to an hour and a half each Monday talking about baseball. We're not the, the type of people that Major League Baseball needs to worry about whether or not we're going to come back. But if you're a casual fan um, or you're kind of on the edge, I'm worried that this is going to you know lose some people. And you know I'm not oblivious to the fact that baseball has a relevance problem anyways. You know, I might have a different opinion on why it's not as relevant as the NBA as others, but I do think it has a relevance problem, and this doesn't help. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this today because I follow the NFL. I'm a Ravens fan, um, but I'm not as into the NFL as I am MLB. I remember the NFL lockout, and I remember the season not wanting, you know, not wanting the season to be delayed. But I don't really remember now what the core issues were. I don't remember exactly when it ended because – the season started on time. Season started on time, and you're you're a more casual fan. It feels normal. So, I think that having the season start on time would have been something that the league could salvage. I don't want the players to do that at their long term expense, but you could have at least come out of this with okay, well, we didn't lose the season, but now it looks like we're going to lose the season or part of the season. Yeah, you just watch like 
you watch some of the college highlights, and I know it's difficult for a lot of people to watch college baseball, but you see some of these highlights. You see the guy, was it Tommy White, Tommy Tanks over there at NC State. Uh, I mean, you're seeing some fantastic performances in the college ranks, and people are getting excited about it, at least in my social media bubble. Like, people are getting super excited about it, which I know is, you know, a little skewed, but um, like, baseball should be capitalizing on this. Like, you're missing Mike Trout, you're missing Shohei Otani. From the Orioles' perspective, like, Trey Mancini. We're missing Trey Mancini and the story of Cedric Mullins. We're missing these guys, the opportunity for them to tell their story, to get out there. Uh, and a lot of just prime of their career guys that MLB already doesn't market. Uh, you're risking that even more. And this is a perfect opportunity to capitalize on this and grow the game. But it's another fumble attempt. You're talking about football there. This is another fumble by Major League Baseball and the owners and Rob Manfred. It's all Rob Manfred. Let's let's get down to business who this whose fault this really is. But um, it is frustrating because, yeah, you do lose. Like I'm just speaking, like, I look at my family, like my dad, for instance, huge Orioles fan his entire life. But is he going to be as interested to watch when the season begins if it's June? I don't know. I don't know that he will be. And that's that's frustrating to me. Yeah, I think it's – I don't know if the casual fans will be lost for good, but they're not going to be in a rush to come back this season at the very least. I mean, they're going to yeah. be like – they'll find something else to watch. And then they'll get used to not watching baseball and then they'll just not come back around to it. Maybe, you know, come next year, the year after they'll be like, all right, let's see what baseball's got going on. But yeah, they don't got to worry about the guys like us, but there are a lot of people that just, it's routine to have baseball on starting from April to September. And that's just what they do. And if it's gone and they find something else, then they found something else. So Vivek here with a question. Do you guys feel the players are trying to address too much at once in the CBA negotiation? Um, Interesting question there. I'll let Bob start with this. Honestly, no. Um, Joe Sheehan and a few other people out there have been great about just, you know, saying the owners could accept exactly what the, the first offer the players made, and it would still be a huge win for them. And they're they're just not negotiating. They're not willing to budge an inch. I feel like the, the players have, like Nick said, they're not perfect in what they ask for and how the trickle down doesn't exactly go the way maybe you would love it to go. But they are making concessions. They are trying to get things moving by saying, okay, we'll, we'll back off of this. Okay. This is a non-starter. Okay. We can worry about that on the next negotiation. I feel like they, the players are the ones that are actually willing to do anything. The owners are just like, what, uh, you want $10? Well, what about nine plus two? And you also have to, you know, owe us $3 later. Like they're just like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic of their offers and trying to make it look like they're doing something. That's, I mean, that question kind of points to my thoughts about all of this. Like I, at one point I'm saying for the players, get everything you can right now. You know, this is your opportunity to get everything you want. Why not get it? Uh, and if you're if you're going to miss or threaten the, the, to miss half a season or even a full season to get everything you want, how many players? I, I would be more interested to know from a player's perspective, like how many players would agree with that? How many of those guys are willing to sit out a full year to get everything that the PA is, is trying to get? Um, because I think from my perspective, and I'm just a fan, I don't have money on the line in this. I don't have a family to support here from baseball. Uh for me, I would say I'm cool without watching Major League Baseball for a full year if the players win this thing and get everything that they want. Uh, but that's you know, that's just my opinion. But, you know, it's it's really hard to decide with billionaire owners who are going to make their money regardless, even without a baseball season. They're still going to find a way to make money. So the players won't. 
you know, and I was reading, I've read a lot of, you know, articles in the last week or so, and Jeff Passan had an excellent one up at ESPN today, and he reinforced the point that the players' losses have occurred over multiple collective bargaining agreements going back to, you know, the post-94 strike discussions. So, you know, realistically, they weren't going to make up for it, but I think at the same time, when you're in the position there that the players are in, where you don't have a lot of substantial bargaining chips on your side, you got to go for everything you can. And knowing, yeah, you're probably not going to get everything this time around, but it also took the owners 20 plus years to, you know, drastically tilt the scales in their favor. Um, so the players got to step in now and start setting a precedent, I think for, you know, fairer negotiations going forward. And, you know, I'm getting way off into the future here, but 32 teams is going to happen. And a lot of things in the sport are going to be reevaluated then. And I think the players, when that time comes, need to be in a stronger position than they are right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's just a great point. I'll, I don't know how to follow up on that exactly, but just look at the way the media coverage is on this versus the last few times anything like this has come up. I mean, this is so firmly against what MLB owners and Rob Manfred are doing. Every article you see, Rosenthal passing, like you said, even Bob Nightingale is kind of like, you know, he's a little bit negative on what, what's going on there. So it, everything seems to be painting MLB in a terrible light as it should, which, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's always going to be people out there that just say, oh, millionaires versus billionaires, whatever. But, you know, those people are kind of a lost cause. So it, at least we're seeing the media portray it uh, correctly for the most part. Yeah, it's, you know, I want baseball, but these guys deserve a piece of the pie, you know, as well. Um, and I think the only thing that I would like to see more of, and it's not going to be addressed with this, uh, but I feel like at the end of the day, one thing that continues to get by, passed by over is are the minor leaguers as well. You know, what are they going to get out of this? I, it doesn't seem like they're going to get much of anything, uh, which is frustrating as well. And I guess that's a whole podcast series in of itself i think yeah even the uh you know the uh the manipulation of the service time there it is service time manipulation uh even that what their answer was the top if you finish first or second rookie of the year then you get your year back like that's what we're doing here that's the only answer i don't know this angle has been played out it has, i've heard this discussed a lot in kind of baseball media circles I think that there is merit to having the, you know, awards basically incentivized or placement awards incentivized teams. But I also don't know how I feel about that when you have writers voting on the process. I wouldn't feel entirely comfortable voting on rookie of the year anymore if I knew it could be the difference, you know, second or third could be the difference between a player um, getting an extra year of service time or not. And I'd be curious to hear the perspective of someone who has voted on these awards before, because that, that would feel really uncomfortable to me. Well, I don't know. What was it that they were talking about tying to like Fangraph's war, whatever that was. And Eric Longenhagen was on, I don't know if it was effectively wild or um, uh, Kevin Goldstein's podcast, chin music, but he was on there and he was like, look, I, I make these lists over at Fangraph's. And so like, if I, if he's going to vote for that, He's like, I'm going to give it to, to the kid who needs the bonus check. Like, I'm going to throw my vote personally where I, where I want to see that money go, right? Or I'm going to skew this uh, how I see fit. And like, a, a lot of writers are going to do that. Um, 
And then you just have a lot of clueless writers out there who are going to vote for whoever they want to anyway without actually looking at any numbers or anything. Or they're going to say who has the highest batting average, uh, and that's going to be their, their vote there. But, um, yeah, that's all ridiculous to me because, again, those writers are human beings, and they're just going to kind of vote how they feel or have – they're going to vote to fill their own agenda, which, again, how do you stop that? And if anything, isn't tying it to rookie of the year going to just make teams want to keep players down longer so that they're not a front runner for the award anymore because they can only accumulate so many stats in X amount of time? I mean, I just feel like there's so many holes. Like, just make it – if you play in the major leagues, that it counts as a year, period. That's it. That's a great point, Bob, because think about last year's American League Rookie of the Year race. I mean, don't you feel like Wanda Franco would have won that award if he had been up earlier? Running away, easily. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess we just get rid of the minor leagues, right? Forget them all. <laughs> yeah, start cutting them one at a time, <laughs> apparently. Jeez Louise. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. Part of me still wants to be remain optimistic and say that even if it's a you know, 150-game season or 145-game season, we'll get it. Um, but yeah, as the day goes on more recently, I get more and more pessimistic about that view. But at the same time, again, I have that part of me that tugs at me and says, well, that's okay because I want the players to win. But we'll see. There's minor league baseball. There's college baseball. There's independent league baseball. All that's still going on. Support it. Orioles fans are pretty lucky in that there are a lot of minor league affiliates within a very, very close drive. So go check out those affiliates. Go to a Bowie Bay Sox game. Yeah, I'm lining up. If I can make it to Norfolk, April 5th, let's go. Grace into Adley. I'm there. So um, we got a question here from Added, and we'll use this to kind of transition into our discussion of the Orioles' 2022 depth chart. But how legitimate are the Orioles interested in offering Carlos Correa a 10-year, $350 million deal? It feels very Machado-Padres timing to me. Also, who gets impacted more, Henderson or Westberg, with this idea? So take the first part of that question. There was a report that I believe came out today from a uh, Spanish-language outlet that linked the Orioles to Carlos Correa. Now, I'm just going to say full disclosure, I don't speak Spanish. I saw an English-translated version of the article that I'm not confident was completely well-translated. So I'm not going to weigh in on the merits of the report so much, but instead just kind of get to the idea of Carlos Correa, 10 years, $350 million. Um, Bob, are you even considering this seriously? Or um, I called it last week. I think I made a mention of, you know, as soon as the lockout's over, Correa signed. Um, hey, I would love it. I would love nothing more than this to be 100% accurate and or is going to do whatever it takes to get Correa in here and be mainstay at shortstop for as long as he can be and then shift over to third base to really jumpstart this rebuild. And it does make a lot of sense. Like uh, Adit mentioned, like a Manny Machado type thing with the Padres. But at the same time, I mean, he's going to have a lot of competition for his services. And I do think the Orioles will spend money. I'm not sure if this is the way it's going to happen or it's going to start. I don't think see them plucking down 300, $350 dollars on one guy. Um, so I'm. it doesn't really change my confidence level of anything like this happening. But God, would it be awesome if it did? Yeah, the feeling Machado to Padres vibes like Padres went after they got Eric Hosmer first for like, was that a hundred something million dollars? That was their first big splash and the Orioles haven't done that yet. So I don't know if jumping to $350 million bat right now would make a ton of sense. 
if the Orioles do it, I said before we hopped on air that I will buy season tickets and make the eight-hour round trip drive for every single home game. Uh, if the Orioles actually do this, um, hope somebody's going to screenshot that and uh, save that. Now I'm going to have to live up to that. But um, you know, I would love, love that. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I would love for that to happen, but I just don't see it this year. Next offseason, I hope so. I hope we're trading prospects. I hope we're signing free agents, and I hope we're we're going for it. Uh, you know, when there's 25 teams make the playoffs next year, 26 teams make the playoffs next year uh, at this rate, then, yeah, you go for it. But this year, I just don't see that happening. And we'll we'll see over the next 24 or 48 hours if any other reports come out about this as well. But Yeah, I don't really see it happening. And to be honest with you, as much fun as it is to kind of daydream about Carlos Correa to the Orioles, it hasn't been something that I've really entertained because, like both of you have said, I just don't know that this is the right offseason for it. The way that I kind of picture the Orioles' plans like changing, where they sort of switch that direction, is they'll invest in their core somewhere. That means giving a current player an extension or players. Then they'll start to make the incremental moves that make the major league roster better. You know, trading for bullpen help, that extra bat in the lineup wherever they needed, that extra starter, that is, you know, a better version of Jordan Lobbs. And you just, and then you eventually see the big splash in trade or free agency. I just don't see them going from one year your big signing with Freddie Galvis to the following year bringing in Carlos Correa. I feel like there, there's a step there in the middle that they just haven't reached yet. Jose Iglesias. Right. <laughs> I mean uh, – Go ahead, Nick. Say like if you want to get weird with it, like it's it's we're still locked out here. So let's go with it. Let's say this was serious offer, and there are serious discussions going on. Um, first of all, I, I would cry to be totally honest. But like I could see where that does make sense if you're like, you know, Grayson Rodriguez is the top pitching prospect in all of baseball, and over the last couple of weeks, you see more and more reports come out and other podcasts talking about these top lists, and it's. It's mind blowing to hear other people, national outs, talk about Grayson Rodriguez as we get closer to the season starting. Um, and then you got Kyle Bradish. The Orioles are very high on Kyle Bradish. I know Orioles fans are kind of mixed on him, but you got that's so two guys you got there. Um, you got Adley Rutschman, who should have been in the major leagues last year. He's there. I could see in, in a world where, yeah, bringing in Carlos Correa shows every other free agent out there that we're going to spend the money. We're ready to compete now. Uh, you bring him in here, let him get acclimated and develop himself as the leader of this clubhouse and leader of this team. And then you build around that. You build around college career, Adley Rushman, Grayson Rodriguez, Ryan Mountcastle. I could see it. I mean, it, I'd put like 5% to like, it's <laughs> my faith in that happening right now, but give you some fun to dream on, I guess. Also like, I mean, Adley and Grayson, these assets are going to be cheap for the next few years. So take yeah. advantage of it and spend your money somewhere else while they're cheap. And then, uh, mm-hmm try to extend them or, you know, you can work from there. So yeah, let's make this make sense. Um, but I do think Zach's probably right. Like, you know, you, you want to see a John means extension, uh, Adley Rutschman wander type of extension, and then kind of make a foray into more things, but Hey, let's, let's just cut to the chase. Let's sign him. Let's get him in here and let's make the playoffs. Oh, and who would uh, be the most vulnerable person? Uh, I think we forgot that part of the question between Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. I would say Westberg, just because at that point, I think you want to keep Gunnar with the higher upside. You know, we've seen he can be elite at their base, according to Keith Law. So 
I think you keep Gunner around in that instance, unless, you know, unless Westbrook really comes on strong and then Gunner has more trade value than maybe, maybe it goes that way. I'm going neither. I'm going to get weird with this. Westbrook's going to be at second base. Um, Gray at short, Gunner at third, and Kobe Mayo with uh, a rocket for an arm in right field, or Gunner in right field Eric. and Mayo at third. Um, you hear I'm this? Get weird with this. <laughs> Putting him in outfield. I don't know about that. Uh, um, in that yeah. situation, I think it would be warranted. But. Yeah. I mean, or that could be Mayo is getting all this hype. Uh, Mayo could be the kid that gets uh, shipped off in that scenario. If I, I don't want that at all. If there's, but if you're talking about Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo, if I can only have one of those three pan out, I'm going to pick Kobe Mayo. Just that's just me personally. I love all three, but I love Kobe Mayo just a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think, and that's it. for Vivek's question. I don't know. I think Jordan Westbrook could be a really solid second baseman who puts up really good offensive numbers for a second baseman. And Gunnar Henderson brings that trade value. I think he could really help you headline a package to bring in a fantastic starting pitcher. So I think if this whole scenario played out like that, maybe Gunnar's the more vulnerable there. I don't know. So a follow-up question here from uh, Yanni, another listener. Any chance Correa chooses the Orioles because of the Astros connection? Mike Elias was there when the Astros drafted Carlos Correa. There's some other front office members who came over from Houston, including Sigma Dahl and Eve Rosenbaum. So do either one of you think that has merit? I think Ty goes to the runner, maybe in that instance. Like he does have familiarity with, uh, definitely mispronounce it, uh, familiarity with Elias and Sig and all them. So, I mean, he has to feel good about them if he does come here. But yeah, like I said, I think it'd be more like, uh, you know, same offer, which way do I go? I trust Mike and company, so maybe I'll lean that way. But that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I'd say that's the same. You know, he's gonna he's gonna go wherever he gets the most money first and foremost. Uh, and you know, I don't know. Does he have a family? You know, I don't know that whole situation. You know, he's got the rings. So like, where does his family want to go? Where does he want to to build that and lay that foundation for the next couple of years? That's gonna play a big role as well. Um, you know, you hear all the time about why the Blue Jays, it's hard for the Blue Jays and, you know, Seattle Mariners to draw free agents because of their location a lot of times. Um, so that's going to be first and foremost. But, yeah, I think if it's close, sure, why not go with the guys you trust to help bring you up and help make you the player you are today? So we'll transition now over to our latest stories over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Bob, Nick, and I did a series where we looked at the Orioles' 2022 depth chart. We each took an area of the team and wrote about it. I wrote about the catching and infield situation. Uh, Nick did the pitchers, which we'll get into in a minute, both the rotation and the bullpen. But Bob had the outfield, uh, which seems to be the area of the team that has the most depth uh, throughout the organization and that is pretty set coming into 2022. So, Bob, what are your, your impressions on this group? Uh, I think the outfield's strong right now for the uh, for the Orioles, as we know. We got Santander, Hayes, Mullins, and as starter, uh, Ryan McKenna, the incomparable DJ Stewart is is out there. But uh, we know that the outfield is definitely the deepest when it comes to prospects as well. With uh, we drafted eighteen of them in this past draft, I think it was, and uh, yeah, I mean we're loaded. We got I we did our little draft on um locked on orioles with the minor league draft and just from the prep work it was like oh don't got to worry about outfield i'll be covered no matter what <laughs> whether you know i wait to my last three picks to make it i'll be feel pretty good about it so 
a lot of depth in the outfield, which is good because there's three spots you can fit people out there. So a little more versatility and, you know, cream rises to the crop. Yeah. And for me, when I look at the outfield, like I'm still excited about, obviously I'm excited about Cedric Mullins, you know, Austin Hayes, but you look out there and then everyone is worth being excited about. It, you know, there's one guy, you know, DJ Stewart and he can, he can go. But other than that, like there's still a lot of promise, even Santander. I mean, Orioles fans really love Santander. I, I don't hate the guy. I just need him to get on base and stay healthy. Uh, but he's still a really intriguing option. I think, uh, I think for me though, like I'm looking at Kyle Stowers first and foremost, I want to see, does he break into that line? When does he break into that lineup? And what do his numbers at the major league level look look like? Are the strikeouts going to be way too much? Is he not going to be able to hit for high enough average? What's he going to look like in the major leagues? Uh, and can a guy like Robert Newstrom break in? Or is it just too much depth for a guy like Newstrom to break through? I don't know. But the outfield is definitely a lot of fun. And you got a new dimension to help throw a little wrench in all of it. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Stowers. And I think we'll see him sometime this summer. There are questions about how he's going to look in the majors. But... I think he'll look good. Look, Santander is a good player when he's on the field. He just has to stay healthy, and the same goes for Austin Hayes. And I like, Bob, that you mentioned Zach Watson at the end of the article Um, because even though Watson is behind some players right now, there's still, you know, that high upside 2020 potential that we talk about all the time. And with the new dimensions, you know, maybe there's an opening for him to get some time in left field this year, depending on – you know, probably the health of Santander and Hayes more than anything. But there's, it feels like that there could be an opening for Watson this year, to put it that way. Yeah, it really does. I mean, he should start the year at AAA Norfolk, and then you're just an injury away, a trade away from at least getting your feet wet at the major league level. And he's just, like we've talked about a lot, you know, he might not be this com- complete player that's going to be a starting center fielder, getting on base and all this stuff, but he has the tools that are going to be valuable to a major league team for a pretty long time. I mean, can really chase it down in the outfield, great defense out there, power, speed. He's, he's going to be valuable even if it's not as a full-timer. So yeah, definitely could definitely see him uh, get some, get some run here at the end of the year. Are either of you legitimately excited about Ryan McKenna still? I don't know about about excited, but I am intrigued just because, the numbers he put up at Norfolk, yeah, I know it could just be like his hottest stretch of a season there because it wasn't much sample. But, man, he killed the ball in a pitcher's park in Norfolk and just could not get a rhythm at the major league level. So I would say I want to see him get like 200, 300 bats this year. Yeah, I'm on the same page as Bob. I think he just want to see him get more time. Um, love the defense. Um, but, yeah, he's got to hit a little bit more, and I think he needs to get at bats this year to develop as a hitter and see what he can do. Yeah. I'm just concerned. It's another DJ Stewart, Chant Cisco situation here. Cause both those guys look like Barry Bonds down in AAA, And then we kept saying, you just need playing time in the major leagues and Chant Cisco can break out. DJ Stewart can get hold of his own. And then Chant Cisco has gone. I don't know where he's at or if he's still even playing baseball at this point. And DJ Stewart is DJ Stewart. So I, I'm scared to see it because I had a lot of hope for Ryan McKenna like two years ago. Um, but hopefully he gets uh, some more ABs next year. I'll just put it this way. I'd rather see him uh, be the backup fourth outfielder than uh, DJ Stewart again. So. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. And we'll go over now to pitchers. And I think we have a listener question about this. This comes from uh, Jimmy. 
Bob, when do we get the steel cage match with you and Matt Sroka? So I feel like there's something I'm missing here, so you're going to have to fill me in, Bob. Yeah, so Matt Sroka of Section 336 podcast. Um, they were just talking on their podcast this past week and mentioned us and specifically me by name as saying, I'm probably going to hear from these guys when I say this, but you know, the pitching depth at the minor league level is an issue. And, you know, just the same thing that this Dan Conley uh, is putting out there for the past year or so. And no, I'm not going to fight Matt's worker. He is a smart, intelligent guy. And I kind of, we kind of had a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter where we kind of understood where we were coming from, but I'll save my ire for the Dan Conley's and Keith Laws of the world who they just had the, the best Q&A session of any Oriole fan could ask for on this past week on The Athletic. But, uh, yeah, my point was basically the Orioles have two of, including the very best pitching prospect in baseball. And, you know, depth-wise, we might be middle of the pack, upper middle of the pack, but that's fine because the Orioles have intentionally focused on position players because they know there are other ways to acquire. That's the same things we've been saying over and over again. But, uh, you know, some people – they need to see it to believe it, so we'll have to see it. I think to say that there's no pitching depth in this system, regardless of who you are, I've, I tweeted it out. I said it's a lazy take, uh, and it is, uh, because I watch these guys every single night, and I've watched the progression all through last season. I've watched the progression over the last two, three years, uh, and it's real progression. And I think you tweeted out the, the clip as well uh, when Kevin Goldstein and Eric Loggenhagen were on the Effectively Wild podcast talking about Prospect Week over at Fangraphs. And Goldstein said when they released the Orioles list that someone responded like, well, I only see like five guys on this prospect list that could be in the major league rotation. And Goldstein's like, well, yeah, that's freaking awesome. If uh, you get five of these guys in a major league rotation, that's what every team dreams of. Uh, and that's what the Orioles have here. They got about 15 guys that could be legitimate major league starters. And I also hate this whole, well, oh, well, he's probably just a back in a rotation starter guy. 40% of all major league starting pitchers are back of the rotation starters. Uh, so, yeah, um, look, there's, I want this season to start so bad. I want Drew Rahm in the major leagues by the end of the year to pan out so bad. I want Zach Peak striking out. 45% of the hitters next year because I'm just so tired of all these takes on Orioles pitchers. Yeah, if you want to get us fired up, all you got to do is talk about the, <laughs> the lack of pitching depth because it really does get me get me going. I don't read the athletic. I don't read the athletic for that purpose. I don't I don't care. You do go work, that's fine, but I don't care. Like, no. Well, Nick, you had a, a chance to write about the pitching depth extensively, both the rotation and the bullpen. Uh, what were kind of your takeaways there? Oh, at the major league level, it's crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's be honest there. No, at the major league level, there is no pitching depth. Um, yeah, I think I said in my piece that, like, look, you've got John Means, you've got Jordan Lyles, who I think his biggest asset could be that he helps the bullpen if he can go five, six innings. Um, he had a large number of starts. I don't have the number right in front of me anymore, but a large number of his starts last year he was with Texas, right, last year, I think. Um, mm -hmm. That were quality starts, you know, six innings, three or fewer runs. Um, say what you will about the quality start stat, but if you're the Orioles, if you get that 10, 12 times out of Jordan Lyles, then he pays for himself. Um, but, yeah, there's just a big group, and I think I saw somebody, it might have been in the Patreon chat, uh, there's a large group there, Keegan Aiken, Michael Bauman, Alex Wells, Zach Lowther, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish. Um, I just think that Aiken 
Wells, Lowther, Kramer, you're not at a point where you want to give up on those guys quite yet. They've had the, the pandemic 2020 season messed up a lot of guys. Last year, late starts, issues there. That's going to mess with, continue to mess with the guys. It's just been a weird year, an unfortunate year, timing-wise, with all these events and the Orioles being as young as they are. Uh, I think it's hurt a lot of guys. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's depth there. Michael Bauman, I talked about. If you have any major takeaways about Michael Bauman after his performance in the major leagues last year, I don't see how you could. Um because we talked about last year, he had the outside injury. It took him a while to come back from that. I think a lot of it was more mental than actual physical coming back from that injury. But he showed a lot of flashes, especially in AAA of 2019, Michael Bauman. That was just dominant, who went from this guy that I wrote about. And I, I got a lot of positive feedback when I wrote about before the 2019 season. Michael Bauman being this, is he even a pitching prospect worth talking about? Not starter or reliever, but just a prospect that Orioles fans should care about. Uh, and he proved to everybody that he was. Uh, you saw flashes of that in 2021, and I think a full off season, he can come back strong in 2022. I'm excited to see what he can do. And Kyle Bradish, I am extremely excited about. I know Orioles fans have mixed reviews on him, but the Orioles seem very high on him. And he ended the year in just as dominant fashion as you could. Uh, and so I want this lockout to end mostly because I want to watch Kyle Bradish pitch in the major leagues. I think the taste in the major leagues that Michael Bauman had and the struggles he went through is what the Lothers and Wells of the world were missing in 2020. They didn't get that chance to come up, get lit up for a few, a month or a few weeks, and then adjust over an off season and learn from it. I mean, yeah, it wasn't an ideal start, but he's, he's faced major league hitters. Now he got some jitters out of the way. Now he can go all off season plan on it. You know, if we had a freaking normal spring training, he would come in and be ready to go and compete for a rotation spot. But yeah, I think, like, like we've said, just not having that 2020 minor league season and getting a chance to get these guys their feet wet, I think it hurt a lot of pitchers, and not just with the Orioles either. So, Yeah, I think that a lot of these pitchers, you know, we've talked about how we didn't like Zach Lothar's routine last year with what the Orioles did with him. And I think that, you know, not just him, but Kramer, Aiken, Wells, Bruce Zimmerman, who was fairly effective last year, but – you know, ultimately missed a lot of the year with injuries, uh, deserve a little bit of an opportunity to work it out and try to develop at the major league level. The big thing for me, though, is that I go back to the bullpen, and that was an area of the team that I thought we were going to see a lot of progress last year. And I think overuse in some cases really got to these pitchers, especially in the second half. So if Jordan Lyles can help, you know, if a healthy John Means and Jordan Lyles and just one of those pitchers can help um, you know, kind of to ease the workload of the bullpen a little bit. I think it's going to open up more opportunities, not just for hopefully a better version of Tanner Scott than what we saw for parts of last year, but for Brian Baker or CNL Perez to come through and stick in the bullpen all year. Jorge Lopez. I don't think I'm alone when I'm saying that I would be legitimately excited to watch Jorge Lopez out of the bullpen across a full year. You look at some of his, pull up some of his game logs uh, when he worked out of the pen. I know there's one game against the Angels. I think I talked about it on the show before. Like the velo, you saw like two, two and a half mile an hour tick in this fastball velo. Uh, and the data on those numbers and those relief outings were just unbelievable. Uh, and we all know that once he gets to a lineup the first time, it's beautiful. And then after that, he, he hits the wall and he crumbles. So yeah, it's just that rotation. There's going to be a lot of arms, and I'm interested to see how the innings get played out. But then again, like all these guys have been locked out. So 
what have they been doing to prepare for this? Yeah, you have the offseason gyms and programs that you can do, but they haven't been. These are young guys at a very critical point in their careers, and they haven't had that direct supervision of the organization for big chunks of the last, what, two, three years now, uh, which has got to be extremely frustrating for every single one of those guys, especially a guy like Dean Kramer, who I'm softening up on, especially after our conversation with Nathan Ruiz last week. I do want to see him get another chance, and I am pulling for Dean Kramer. And like Ruiz said, like he looked beaten down last year in some of those interviews. Um, and he's supposed to have no contact with the organization all offseason. So how do you help a guy like that during the winter? It's it's frustrating. Yeah, it's to me. I mean, you guys have said so much good stuff about the bullpen, but to me, it's going to be interesting. Just you know, Elias has just been basically using the guys he was handed at this point. It's going to be interesting starting this year to see some guys trickling that he has acquired. He has you know his style of relief, big tall guys like we've talked about that have good fastballs and uh, you know like two dominant pitches and and throw hard, like really hard like. Uh, I, I just think, you know, it's hard to judge, especially like we said with the starting pitchers and and you're asking Dylan Tate to throw two, three innings at a time and like back-to-back days and and Paul Fry. Yeah, I just saw the the image of him against Tampa Bay in the last uh, few months of the season. It's like still can't believe that he was that bad. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And you got a big group there. I mean, you got Felix Batista. I know walks are an issue, but the walks got better as he went up the ladder. Um you got Logan Gillespie, who it's not just the Orioles that like Gillespie. I mean, you have national evaluators who were fans of his stuff. It's just a matter of can he put it all together at the major leagues. I still like Isaac Matson. I think he deserves a fair shot next year. Uh, I think there's going to be an interesting group, at least if there's going to be the core that you have, Wells, Tate, hopefully Fry and Scott. Uh, and then the, the fringe of that bullpen are going to be a lot of like up and down guys. But I feel like that fringe is – a step up compared to last year. But at the end of the day, if the starters can't go three or only going three or four innings, every start, it's meaningless because the bullpen's going to get beat to death a month into the season. So. Yeah. And on that note, I'll go over to the part of the depth chart I covered, which was the catchers and the infielders and what catchers, you know, there's really no spoiler alert here. It's going to be Adley Rutschman at some point in 2022. Is this a question of when, I tend to think that for now, Pencil and Jacob Nottingham and uh, Anthony Benboom on the opening day roster, if you don't have Rutzman there, but there's always a possibility the Orioles make a move late in the offseason once the lockout is over. And the infield, to me, seems somewhat set uh, with the question, though, of do the Orioles go out and add a shortstop? We just spent a lot of time talking about Carlos Correa, but there are more players in that one-year range that will probably take a deal. I don't know. I'm just throwing numbers out here, like four to eight million dollar um, range. So we've seen like Elias working before. Jose Iglesias is out there. Angelton Simmons, who would be my personal choice in that group, is out there. Jonathan VR is out there. So there are some players on the other that when we get on the other side of the lockout, the Orioles could take a chance on. But I'll just start with Nick here. General thoughts on that group between catching and infield? I mean, I definitely don't hate it. I don't, the Orioles' offense, I feel like, was kept them in a lot of games last year. And for many nights, like it was fun to watch 
this offense. Uh, you're going to have Ali Rutschman in this lineup for sure at some point, just a matter of when, not if. Um, you know what you got in Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini. Uh, Mancini is going to be full offseason. I imagine he's going to be even healthier next year. For me, like when I'm looking at this infield, though, like what happens with third base? I joke a lot about Kelvin Gutierrez. I do love that defense, but guy can't hit anything. Um, so what do they do at third base? And you really don't have that third base prospect to bring up. Like, is Ryland Bannon going to be a guy that contributes at all? I don't know. Um, the most intriguing name for me, though, is going to be Jemai Jones. I am still intrigued. I'll say that intrigued instead of excited uh, to see what Jemai Jones can do. Um, you always hear about the athleticism. The athleticism is there. He can be a game changer, I think, defensively and with a speed. But, you know, can he hit the baseball? That's that's his biggest struggle. I don't know. We'll, we'll see in 2022, I guess. Yeah, third base, I, I don't like Rugnet Odor or Kelvin Gutierrez there. Um, maybe if you put Jorge Mateo or you sign Correa or Simmons or someone like that, you can slide Ramon Urias over to third base. I don't know if he's got quite the arm to play there full-time, at least to start the year. But And then you can you know, have Jemai Jones and a, a few other characters battle out for second base maybe Ryland Bannon get in the mix, but yeah, uh, outside of first base and obviously we know what we got in catcher that infield is definitely, let's get these prospects that are uh, right in our top 10 up as quick as possible. Huh? I think you'll see a lot of activity there. I mean, yeah, I think there's some comments there. Uh, the rule five is an option. If that happens, I think I've now seen the, the people kind of say, well, if it happens or if it's canceled. Uh, so maybe there are even talks about them canceling the Rule 5 draft. I don't think anybody knows at this point, except we know that like scouts are being uh, banned from the workout stadium. So other teams can't scout potential Rule 5 picks, which shout out, hide Nick Vespi, uh, all you can there. But um, yeah, it's maybe you address it through the Rule 5 draft. There are some interesting options. Check out our episode with Vivek. Uh, some great names there. Maybe there are a ton of free agents. Sign sign a third baseman, sign a shortstop, and then because I don't know if I particularly want to see Ramon Arias at shortstop every day. I want to see him at second base. And I think he can be a really fun tool for the Orioles next year. But sign a third baseman, sign a shortstop, and let's shore up this infield for sure. Yeah, Ramon Arias can be a nice utility infielder in 2023, 2024 when we're in the playoffs. Yeah, I just want to see his bat in the lineup more this year. And, you know, I think ideally it would come at second base, but just get his bat in the lineup as often as you can. And one player I've tried to talk up a little bit in the piece was Taron Vavra because he is on the 40-man roster. Um, he's going to need a lot of time at AAA just because he missed so much of last season. But do either of you feel like – once we get to the all-star break, you can start looking at him as a potential option at second base for the Orioles. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, especially if he's healthy and, and performing at AAA. I, I don't see why not. Yeah, and I've kind of said before that I don't know if I see him as an everyday future second baseman in the, as a major leaguer, but you mentioned in the piece here, like he's got the high on base percentages, the high walk rates all throughout the minor leagues. That's what he does really well. Uh, and he's a very patient hitter and really pesky hitter as well. So I think you bring that bat into the lineup, you bring his defensive versatility, you're going to help fill a lot of holes. Uh, and I think I kind of view him the same way that I viewed Jemai Jones last year when we were talking about him bringing Jemai Jones up, but Taron Vavra is a much better hitter. 
and much better overall player than Jemai Jones. So Vavra is the kind of guy that you want to have as your everyday utility guy at the major league level. He's he's going to be a major contributor. Yeah, and he might be that long term, right? When the Norbies and the Westbergs and all are up and Joey Ortiz and stuff like that. But I mean, for now, versus what we have, yeah, run him yeah. out there at second base every day yeah. until he proves that he can. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can check out those pieces over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. All four are up now, along with the other great coverage that goes into the site. Be sure to hop on the message board while you're there joining the discussion with uh, readers as well as some contributors to the site. And before we wrap up this episode, Bob, Nick, any final thoughts? We've uh, discussed a lot of things today. Yeah, that was a lot. Uh, shout out to Brian Baker for joining us. Uh, love having these guys on. Hopefully, we give we give them the uh, the on the verge touch that Spencer Watkins got. We had Spencer Watkins on. Had a fantastic debut in the big leagues. Orioles brought him back again for next year. We had we didn't even mention Spencer Watkins in our starting pitching preview stuff. We messed up there. Um, but no, shout out to Brian Baker for joining us. Uh, that was a lot of fun and cheering for him. Yeah, wide assortment of topics we talked about today. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, Brian Baker was great. Um, didn't know what to expect. With uh, with I'd never seen him pitch other than the clips that Nick has put on our Twitter. So that was cool. And can't believe we're going to sign Carlos Correa. Let's get this <laughs> lockout ended. I'm excited. Well, we'll be back next week for our first episode of March. Um, and in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. For Bob Thelman and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.